Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Justice, a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system. With me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, I speak to Donna Jones, Police and Crime Commissioner for Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and National Lead for Victims for the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners. Donna talks us through her work to hold local criminal justice partners to account and ensure delivery of Hampshire's policing and crime plan. My name is Donna Jones and I'm the Police and Crime Commissioner for Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and the National Lead for Victims and also Serious Organised Crime for the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners. Great. And first of all, I would be really keen to hear from you. What is a police and crime commissioner? There'll be many people listening who sort of maybe have heard the job title before, but have no idea what it actually is. So police and crime commissioners were created um, from the Police and Social Crime Social Responsibility Bill of 2012, created by David Cameron and Theresa May. Uh, So 2012, November, was the first, the inaugural elections of police and crime commissioners, and every police force area has a police and crime commissioner. Now, the point of the police and crime commissioner is to hold the chief constable to to account, to set the policing priorities for the local area, and also to hold the local criminal justice party partners to account as well. But most importantly, to be a voice for victims and to be a voice for members of the public uh, whom that policing, that police force serves. So it's a big role. Two million people that live in Hampshire in the Isle of Wight. Uh, I'm the first woman to hold the role in Hampshire. So I'm also really pleased about that. Um, and for me, representing the people in the county where I was born and grew up is, uh, is a real honour. You're an elected official. So could you explain how politics intersects with this particular job? Yeah, so by the nature of the fact that it's an elected representative of the public, yes, of course, most of the candidates and in fact, all of the police and crime commissioners that are now elected are all elected on a political ticket. So either Conservative or Labour commissioners. So there are 43 police and crime commissioners in the country, of which four or five are there by de facto of being deputy mayors. So the deputy mayor of London, Sophie Linden, um, she is appointed by Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, but she is effectively his deputy um, his police and crime commissioner. The same with Baroness Beverly Hughes in Manchester, appointed by Andy Burnham, who is the directly elected mayor. And Bev Hughes is the police and crime commissioner for the Greater Manchester area. So out of the 43, 30 um, commissioners are Conservative and the remainder are Labour. So uh, there definitely is some politics in it. But actually, when it comes to policing services, um, the politics tends to be quite a secondary issue. And it's about standing up for what you need to do for the local people, um, 
um, you know, responding to local crime trends or things that are happening. Of course, places like Greater Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, they will have very different crime needs, perhaps to Suffolk, Norfolk and some of the more rural areas. So uh, that's why you have local representation. OK, because you're a Conservative Police and Crime Commissioner. So I suppose you would be putting your Conservative view onto the county as Police and Crime Commissioner. However, making sure that you are representing everybody, no matter what their political affiliation in the county. Is that right? Yeah, and I would say the national party politics very, very rarely comes into it. We work together so closely, all of us. I work really closely with Sophie as the Deputy Mayor of London because we are joint national leads for victims of crime across the whole of the country. And actually, the national politics doesn't come into it at all. It's about doing what's right for victims of crime. It's about lobbying to make sure that we are getting what we think victims of crime need in any legislative changes that are coming up. And probably the biggest difference at the moment between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party um, when it comes to national policing policy, it's probably the approach to drugs reform, where the Conservative Party do not want to um, legalise and reform drugs, whereas the, the Labour Party do. But other than that, on most things, we agree, which is incredibly helpful. OK, so what does a typical day look like for you? Well, dealing with emails, uh, responding to um, lots of casework that comes in and meeting members of the public. So last week, for example, I spent two and a half hours one evening meeting with the mother of a, of a rape victim from Hampshire, uh, a young girl who was raped in 2020. And actually learning from the process that, that she is a victim and her family through her mother, what they went through, what was really, really good, some great feedback, but particularly uh, from on behalf of Hampshire Constabulary, who did a fantastic job in catching the individual. And he is now in prison, which is which is good. He's, he's no longer on the streets of Britain and no longer able to commit crime. But there were some points throughout the whole criminal justice process where perhaps the family could have been better supported. So that's definitely one thing. Second thing for me is I do chair the Hampshire criminal justice board so as well as being a police and crime commissioner it's not all about the police it's also about the crime side of my role now I served as a magistrate um, in Portsmouth in in the county of Hampshire for 16 years before I got elected into this role in May 2021 and in fact I was the youngest magistrate in the country when I was appointed I was just 27 so I've always had a real interest in criminal justice and in helping people who perhaps can't stand up for themselves and to really make sure that they're getting their, you know, the justice they deserve. So coming from that background of working with the probation service, working with Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service, uh, working with judges and with fellow magistrates, and of course with the police, really for me made this transition into this new role quite easy. Now, chairing the Hampshire Criminal Justice Board, which I do once a month, means I'm working with judges. Um, Her Honour um, Angela, uh, Judge Angela Morris, who was our leading presiding judge in Winchester, uh, one of the, the highest divisional courts um, in the land, uh, working with the governor of Winchester Prison and HMP uh, Isle of Wight, uh, working with charities, um, commissioning services. So it's a big part of my role is to be commissioning services, working with the probation service on things where they're working with um, perpetrators of crime after they've been convicted. And I also have a duty uh, and, a, and a mandatory responsibility around some of those items too. So it's very varied, going out, meeting with the public, working with um, members of parliament, lobbying the government, uh, attending meetings at the Home Office or with the Ministry of Justice. And with my um, serious organised crime hat on, work, I work very closely with the National Crime Agency and we'll go and meet up with them every sort of six to eight weeks and have briefings with them on serious organised crime and what's going on across the country. 
Okay, so not much going on then. (laughs) (laughs) And when you talk about commissioning services, because I, you know, I said, I know what that means, but I think for the benefit of listeners, it's, um, you know, kind of sector speak, isn't it? What does that tangibly mean for the people of Hampshire or quite frankly, the people of any other county who might be interested in what their police and crime commissioner does? What does it mean by saying that you can commission services? So one of the responsibilities that I have passed to me from the Ministry of Justice is to um, uh, spend money uh, predominantly with the third sector, so with charities and specialist organisations to prevent crime and to support victims of crime. So working with um, organisations, it might be specialist domestic abuse charities who will be working with victims who have been uh, victims of domestic abuse through the police. The police will identify who the victims are. They refer them to one of the charities that I pay for so the commission part that means paying for them on either a one-year two-year or a three-year contract um, so I then will set the the service level agreement so how many you know contacts as a minimum I want that charity to work with that particular victim what kind of services I want them to be offered and then I have people that work for me that check that those um, indicators are being met they also do um, you know um, interactive feedback sessions with victims of crime to make sure that this the you know support they're getting from charities is what they need if it needs tweaking the next time we come to reissue the contract we'll tweak it and we'll do what people are telling us that they need and the big focus at the moment has been around what we call ISFAs um, independent sexual violence advocates Um, and the government are really focused on helping victims of rape and serious sexual assault and so through police commissioners um, the police identify the victim they let us know who they are and then through the charities that I pay or the specialist organisations that I pay we have the sexual violence advocates who will work with a victim of rape and sexual assault um, and hold their hand throughout the whole process even beyond trial or sentencing of their of the person who's committed the crime against them um, and carry on that therapeutic work afterwards as well because for some people you know getting that trial date or you know getting the conviction or, or, or not in some cases that's really just the start of their healing they have many many years of healing to go after that to come to terms with you know what is probably one of the worst crimes that you can survive obviously after murder absolutely so I think what I hear you're saying is you have a, a budget and you can say to a charity these are my priorities therefore I'd like you to do x y or z and you pay the charity to carry out the work that you want to see done. That's exactly it. And also things like working with schools. So where schools will identify that perhaps there are um, teenagers, you know, young people who are, something's going wrong at home potentially, and they might just need a bit of extra help and support. I've just launched a new programme where we are recruiting business mentors to particularly work with teenage boys who are committing lots of crimes across our communities. And actually what makes a 13 or 14 year old boy grow up to be so angry that the only way they can express themselves is to go and set fire to a bin shed or to uh, set fire to a car or to steal somebody's bike or break into their house. And actually, you know, these are still children. Um, I feel very strongly about not criminalising children. And okay, there is a point with some young people where the level of criminality, um, you know, the punitive element of it has to take over and actually punishing 
them has to be done. But actually, for them to get to that point in their life where they're so angry with society, they're so angry with themselves and with everybody around them that the only way they can express themselves is to go and to be destructive and commit crime, that means that we've kind of let them down in some way. And so I've been working with um, the specialist people. I've got a specialist um, practitioner who works for me called Karen Dawes, and she leads on all of my trauma-informed work. And it's a phrase that's often referred to as ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And with so many um, people who commit crimes, they've actually been victims of crime themselves as children. So let's take, for example, a paedophile. Very often paedophiles have been terribly sexually abused as children themselves, or prostitutes, terribly sexually abused as children, uh, take drugs to cope and, and numb the pain that they feel that has been sort of, you know, um, surmountable throughout their whole lives. And then they turn to prostitution to pay for their drug addiction because selling their body is the only way, apart from shoplifting, um, that, they, that they can fund that addiction. Now, for me, it is not a victim-led crime. There is a victim in there, even though there's also somebody who's committing crime. And prostitution is a very, very good example of that, where actually is the right approach with that particular individual to lock them up and put them in prison because they have been prostituting themselves, which is technically, it's an offence to do that, to, to, you know, to street walk and to canvas for, for sex work. Um, or should we be helping them? Should we be saying to them, what's causing the pain in your life that you need to take Take drugs to stop you uh, from wanting to prostitute yourself to raise money um, to pay for drugs and or whatever else you're spending the money on. So for me, winding things right the way back, really working with government departments, working with ministers, working with some specialist charities out there who understand this space very, very well to make sure that as police and crime commissioners, we're using our voices effectively to represent the public is it's massively important to me. And it's one of the key drivers of why I do what I do. And I think that's such a, a key point that you make about many perpetrators are victims first. And often what we read and what we hear in the media is very um, black and white. It's a victim or it's a perpetrator. And then suddenly when you speak to people and say, well, what about when the victim merges into the perpetrator? And at what point do you stop feeling sorry for the child that's a victim? Well, it's usually when they become an adult and a perpetrator. And, you know, that sort of strange time that gets lost where one morphs into the other. And I was going to ask you, you were talking about um, serious sexual violence and violence against women and girls, the Borg agenda, which I know you're very committed to. And something I get very frustrated about is that um, often we talk about helping the victims of sexual violence afterwards, which of course is right, uh, and they need it. Um, I don't often, and this might be wrong, um, hear enough conversation about how to, you did touch on it, but um, how to prevent men from wanting to commit sexual violence against women. And I sort of always wonder what programmes there are out there that men could go on if they're displaying harmful sexual behaviours to try and reduce that because it's one thing putting them in prison. I happen to know for a fact that when they go into prison, the likelihood of them receiving any help for their deviant sexual behaviours is virtually non-existent. And then, of course, they come out and I worry about them doing it again because, quite frankly, they haven't had any interventions in prison. 
I think that's a really, really significant issue. And actually, like you say, there are very often, almost in almost all cases, victims of crime behind a perpetrator. Those perpetrators have always got a story. Um, and it is incredibly sad. And actually, if you've got, um, let's say, uh, a man who has been perpetrating, been committing crime against females, whether it be sexual or very violent, you can almost guarantee that that um, man grew up as a young boy in a very violent household, seeing that as normalised behaviour of being very violent towards women. And therefore, the propensity for that young boy to grow up to then become a perpetrator of crime himself was so much, I mean, almost 10 times higher than than perhaps a young, uh, a young boy who grew up in a, in, a, in a much more normal, loving, caring household with a positive male role model in a father and no violence around them. Um, so for me, it is an issue. And the prison system, um, we can see... Um, uh, the statistics speak for themselves, do not address the issues. And that's why we have to think outside of the box. But at the same time, it's also right that we are locking up and taking the most dangerous offenders off the streets of Britain. Um, and I know there are many victims out there, particularly listening to this podcast, that will feel quite strongly about that. So through the Police Crime Courts Sentencing Bill that's going through Parliament at the moment, there is a change proposed to the legislation so that if you are a, a very serious, violent person or a sexual offender in the UK, you will no longer have the right to parole at 50% of the way through your sentence and you will in fact serve your whole sentence however on the flip side of that to create more room in prisons and also to take a much more holistic approach towards uh reforming offenders those that commit lower level crimes are probably less likely to go to prison or for shorter sentences so that they can be dealt with in in communities now before i got elected i really thought you know that i needed to be spending more money uh commissioning of those services or paying for those charities to be working with teenagers to be scooping them up at 11 12 13 years of age to stop these particularly young boys where we know we have an issue carrying knives stabbing each other selling drugs to pay for their own drug addictions and being exploited by older criminal gang members we are doing that and I'm going to do some more of that but the more I learned about the trauma informed the more I learned about this the adverse childhood experiences that we touched on earlier I'm now rewinding it right back to prenatal so we have trained up 1,700 public sector workers across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight with this money that I secured from the Home Office in September, £380,000. And we are working, as I say, with midwives and health visitors and with school teachers because if a school teacher at 11 or 12 years of age can identify the girls in the class that are most likely to be susceptible to being in a violent relationship or be pregnant by 15 or 16, or the young lads in the class that are the most likely to be committing crimes and getting trouble with the police, if we are not responding to that as a society, surely we're letting them down. So for me, supporting, stopping these young, particularly teenage boys from growing up and being very angry by the age of 13 and 14, we need to be rewinding that right back to when they are younger and to be trying to eradicate and, mo and remove or make parents much more aware that whilst they may have a very volatile relationship, you've got, you know, three or four pairs of eyes and ears quietly sat in the corner, you may not you know, think that it's having a huge effect on them, but it really, really is. And you need to be so mindful of the behaviours that play out in front of your children. And by educating parents um, and supporting them, particularly where there are issues around troubled families, I think that we are going to longer term uh, support people better and therefore have less criminals growing up in Britain um, if we adopt this approach across the whole of government. So whose job is it then? It might be yours or, or maybe not. I'm not sure. We have one 
well, we have Winchester Prison in Hampshire, for example. So if a man was to go in there for committing um, rape, let's say, whose job is it to make sure that if he gets put away for even longer than he did a few years ago, that he is going to come out less likely to do that again? Because it seems to me that's a, that is a huge gap and one that desperately needs to be addressed and and I never seem to be able to find the person whose responsibility it is to make sure that really does happen because actually we really are failing victims if we're not doing our bit inside the prisons. At the moment, it's the responsibility of the MAPA teams, the multi-agency public protection team. So when high-risk offenders, whether it be a terrorist, a paedophile, a rapist, a murderer, when they come out of prison um, at the moment on licence, but even, as you say, if it's at the end of their whole sentence in the future, they will be picked up by those multi-agency public protection teams, so by the MAPA teams, in whichever police force area they go back to. Now, the MAPA teams are a combination of the probation service, um, so the we, what we call the IOM, the Integrated Offender Management Teams and um, Police Services. And one of the things the Home Secretary is doing at the moment is she's been um, undertaking a review of the uh, functions and of the uh, powers of police and crime commissioners. And they, the Home Office, through the Home Secretary, are considering giving police and crime commissioners uh, accountability and some responsibility for co-commissioning of probation services. So this is why the police part of my title is important, but so is the criminal justice part. And and that's why understanding, as I do, how probation work, how they approach things is absolutely key. So for me, in answer to your question, the key to stopping those men from going and raping again or committing whatever um, horrific offence they've previously been convicted for is about making sure that not only do they get the right and proper support and services whilst they are in prison, uh, but secondly, when they come out of prison, they're then not left on their own, that there is a support package put around them, whether it be through housing to getting them into some kind of apprenticeship or getting them into some kind of work so they're surrounded by positive ro other male or female role models depending on their gender um to stop their, that that um, reoffending that's absolutely key and we know that accommodation you know their secure home uh, position is so key to preventing that reoffending um so at the moment i don't think as a country we've got it right um i think there's too much crisis management trying to you know not throw the baby out of the bathwater when people come out of prison and actually we do need to take a more holistic approach much more you know should be done when people are in prison because simply incarcerating them for that punitive reason you know for the punishment reason only really doesn't achieve anything and that's why short prison sentences have been proven to just do absolutely nothing really good quality community punishment orders are much much better than a short prison sentence they really are yeah so if the MAPA teams and I've sat through a few MAPA meetings in in my time and and I was actually of course you know nothing's perfect but I was really blown away at how brilliant that was that it existed and that there were so many people that really cared and really got around you know a person who did you know these some of these people posed a significant danger um and I and it was really heartwarming actually and I thought how lucky I am to live in England um when I saw that but that's just an aside so if they're responsible for the people once they come out, whose responsibility is it to make sure the men have something when they're in prison? Would that be the Ministry of Justice? 
that would be the Ministry of Justice, yes, and it would be Victoria Atkins, the prison's minister, for her to look at the sort of holistic approach to how um, prisons operate at the moment. And actually, you know, there hasn't been a, an awful lot of money spare in the prison sector over the last decade. And actually, I'm hoping now that there, you know, with an increasing uh, budget for the Ministry of Justice, that actually Victoria is going to be given, as the minister with responsibility for prisons, she is going to be given some latitude to be able to uh, change those approaches. I've got a catch up with her um, in the next six or seven weeks uh, and, I, and I'm going to be talking to her about this very issue. What powers do you have as a police and crime commissioner? So you obviously have a budget, you can commission services. What other powers do you hold in order to sort of create change? Well, also the, have control of the total amount of the of the police budget, as you said. So I get the money for Hampshire policing services and criminal justice services through two ways. One is through my Home Office grant, which for us here in Hampshire is about £280 million. And the remainder of the budget that takes me up to £409 million comes from the policing element of the council tax, policing precept, as we call it. So I will then allocate the budget. So I give a big chunk of that to the chief constable to say that's to pay for policing services and within that there will be some caveats of things I want her to spend money on. Secondly, I am the landlord of the police estate. So we have 130 police buildings in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight that range from police stations to firearms buildings to counter-terrorism buildings to uh, you name it, uh, training buildings. Um, and so I own the police estate and maintain it and look after it. So that takes about 12 to 13 million pounds a year to look after and maintain that. Um, and then the chief constable is the tenant and her staff obviously work within those buildings and then is obviously there is my commissioning budget which I'm increasing by an additional million pounds this year so that is three and a half million pounds but there are other specific grants I get from the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice such as funding for a violent reduction unit our VRU so we are um, the fourth largest uh, police force in the country outside of outside of the Met Police uh, and as a consequence we, we do have a high a high amount of um, you know crime particularly around the cities of Southampton and Portsmouth uh, and Basingstoke is our sort of third largest um, sort of conurbation and so because of that we are allocated additional funding from the Home Office to have a violent reduction unit. Now the way that the police um, respond to the budget I give them uh, and deliver the policing priorities that the public want is by me writing my police and crime plan. So it's a legal document that every police and crime commissioner must have. And from being elected, we were all elected. Some of us were re-elected um, in, in May uh, 2021. We had until the end of March of 2022 to publish our plans. I published mine back in November. It's called More Police Safer Streets. So you can go to morepolicesaferstreets.com and have a look. And what I've done is I've covered what the public want me to deliver, what they've told me they want me to deliver. I've then covered uh, criminal justice and the response to criminal justice, how I commission, and also the high harm stuff, the rapes, the murders, you know, all of the sort of like high harm stuff that the, that the Hampshire Constabulary are delivering very well, I have to say. Now, the public told me through me carrying out a consultation, I think in total I had over 8,000 people responded, both online and in person to different groups that we carried out. They told me unequivocally, 
they wanted more police on the streets. So I promised to go above and beyond the government's uh, national uplift programme of police officers. So here in Hampshire, that means that I'm going to be making sure I'm paying for 600 additional police officers by the end of March 2023. They told me they want to see the police more. So increasing police visibility is key. And a number of police stations have been closed over the years. I'm looking to reopen those where we still own the buildings and also uh, built by new sites, uh, perhaps shop fronts on high streets where shops have closed down, where I can put local neighbourhood policing teams so the public get to see them coming and going and doing their daily business every day. They also told me they want me to tackle antisocial behaviour, unauthorised encampments, a crackdown on knife crime. There's a whole load of really key priorities. And in, as I say, morepolicesaferstreets.com, please go and have a look at it if you do live in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, or if you're interested in seeing what um, a police and crime commissioner's police and crime plan looks like. And that document sets the strategic policing priorities, which the chief constable must use her budget to deliver over the next three years, up until 2024, which is the end of my term of office. And hopefully, touch wood, I'll be re-elected. And you also have the power, do you not, to sack the chief constable? We do, actually. Yes, yes <laughs> technically, hire and, fire, hire and fire chief constables is one of the... Um, one of the things that's within the, the remit of police and crime commissioners. Has it ever happened? It has actually, yes. It has happened across the country. Um, I, I just think that, you know, we've got an amazing um, group of men and women who are leading police forces across the country, including here in Hampshire. You know, our chief constable, Olivia Pinckney, is one of the longest serving and most senior chief constables in the country. She leads on local policing nationally as well. She's very well respected and we're incredibly lucky to have her. So from my perspective, I, I said to her, on day one. I'm never going to talk about hiring and firing because it's just derogatory to your office. I think you're doing a great job. And if I don't think you are, I'll come and tell you. And if anyone's interested to hear Olivia talking about her job, then she has also been on the podcast. So people can find her in our library. She's a, she's a fascinating and impressive woman, as you say. How long did you say your term is for the Police and Crime Commissioner? So normally four years. So we should have had the elections in May 2020 to run up to May 2024. But because of COVID, um, the elections in May 2020, well, all elections across the country in May uh, 2020 were pushed back for one year. So I have a three year term, um, which means that I'm up for re-election again in, um, yeah, in 2024. And I'm really, really, uh, you know, it's just coming up, well, eight, nine months now. And I'm really getting into the pace of it now. So um, making some changes, getting to know the constabulary, working with the, working with the police force has been amazing. And actually, I had such respect for um, police men and women across the country and police staff that work for police forces before I got elected, having been a magistrate. But since I've been elected, seeing what they go through, seeing some of the things that the frustrations they have, and I can really vision where I can help them. So around reducing some of the bureaucracy, really going back to the CPS to say, really, do we really need to be doing that? Going back to the Ministry of Justice to say, if we could just tweak this process here, it would make it so much easier. This is the outcome. And that's why I think collectively, it's right and proper that we do have commissioners who are representing the 62, 63 million people that live in the UK in the way that we do. Because before we had police commissioners, before November 2012, those first ever election for police commissioners, 
police chief constables and police forces were governed by police authority boards. Um, and in Hampshire, we had 28 councillors that sat on the Hampshire Police Authority Board. No one knew who they were. Uh, no one knew that the board had no real voice. Um, and when councillors are, are going into such an important meeting, but only for three quarters of a day, once a month, and then they go back to their councillor jobs or their, or their day job or their family lives, when you're only dipping in and out of it for perhaps four or five hours once a month, it's not enough to get under the skin of what really needs to be done. And that's why David Cameron and Theresa May brought about proper accountability for policing services by having directly elected police and crime commissioners. So, you know, they've been there's been a bumpy ride, I think it's safe to say, since they've been um first elected but more now the public are getting to know them uh getting more used to it um i think that they have grown in popularity and actually when i was elected here as i say in may last year i got the largest majority of any police and crime commissioner anywhere in the country i got almost 70 percent of the vote and yes okay i've been a politician in hampshire for 13 14 years prior to that i'd been the leader of one of the city councils in hampshire um so i had a you know, a semi-well-known um, political profile, I would say, in Hampshire. But actually connecting with the public, that's really what being a politician is. It's being a voice for other people, isn't it? So listening to people, connecting with them, going to council meetings, going to, you know, street surgeries, um, going to town hall events. That's that's exactly what my role is. And, and I really love it. And that's the exciting part of the job. I imagine that's the bit I love, which is meeting interesting people, getting out on the front line, listening to stories. It's kind of what makes us tick, isn't it? Well, listen, thank you so much. Um, hopefully this podcast goes a small way to helping people understand the role of the Police and Crime Commissioner and actually how important it is. And if anyone who's listening wants to learn more about Police and Crime Commissioners, then we'll put some uh, links to you, Donna, in the footnotes and maybe people can go from there. So thank you so much for being with me today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.